So it is birthday Sunday here at Woodmont, which is really exciting. Um, the church is celebrating our 78th birthday, but from where I sit in this room, it doesn't look a day over seven or eight months. It's actually quite nice. Um, in all seriousness, a group of individuals came together with the dream of forming a church, and they laid out this covenant. And you've probably seen it around the church. It's been up in the hallways and things like that, but I'm going to read it for you real quick. This is the covenant that was put together 78 years ago. We do hereby solemnly covenant with God and one another to bond ourselves together to establish a Christian church in this community for ourselves and posterity. We pledge our time, substance, talents, and prayers to the end that his church shall be a house of prayer for all people, a fellowship of those who believe in Christ, and strive to follow his teachings and a part of the church universal. We aim to erect a suitable edifice for divine worship, for Christian education, for stewardship, for world missions, and to minister to the spiritual needs of the community. All this we covenant to be and do under the guidance of God and the leadership of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that is legitimately something to celebrate. I mean, that should be our guiding principle as we think about this church that's been around for 78 years and as we look towards the future. So, with it being our birthday... One of the things that you do is you get a cake. I really want a cake. I think Is there going to be cake in the gathering hall? Is that true? Yeah. There is? Oh, see, what I say now doesn't matter because there's cake. Um, but um, you, take a, you blow out the candles and you make a wish about whatever you want to see happen in the future. And so I want to start with this question. I actually want you all to just sort of talk amongst yourselves for like 60 to 90 seconds. But what would be your wish, your hope for Woodmont as a church tomorrow as we go into the future. So seriously, in just the next 69 seconds, just turn to the people around you. What would be your wish, your hope for Woodmont going into the future? So go ahead and do that. All right, take about 10, 15 more seconds. All right. Okay, so I think this is just an important question to ask as we go forward in the church. It's always important to ask, you know, what do we want to be? What do we want to become? How do we want to be more like God wants us to be. And I think it's not just an important, church, uh, important, important question for Woodmont, but it's an important question for, uh, as the covenant puts it, the church universal, all Christians in the world. Because the church is not just confined to 3601 Hillsborough Pike, it's much bigger than that. To uh, tweak a quote from the cinematic masterpiece Thor Ragnarok, um, the church is not a place but a people. And the church is a people. We are, the church, Woodmont Christian Church is the people that are in this church as they go out into the community. And we are one community amongst many in this world. And so what do we want the church, Woodmont and the church universal, to look like going forward? 
Uh, and so what we're looking today is we're looking at this passage from Acts. We're going to look back. And we're not looking back in a way to idolize the past. I think that sometimes we do this thing where we look back at this golden age and we sort of sweep all the problems under the rug and we pretend like everything was fine back then. That's not what I'm suggesting here. But there is something in this passage about the spirit of the early church that I think would be good to animate us as we go forward. So a little context for Acts 2, 42 through 47. Um, the gospel, uh, Acts is written by Luke. And Luke wrote this passage to basically give a summary of what the early church was like. And in context, this took place right after the Feast of Pentecost, which is the birthday for the church universal. Jesus had been resurrected, and before he ascended to heaven, he told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the Spirit, the Comforter, the Guide, the Paraclete to come to them and show them what to do next. And so the disciples went back to Jerusalem, and they waited. And then at the Feast of Pentecost, like thousands of people came to Jerusalem, People from all over the world, lots of nations, nationalities, um, lots of languages came. And the Spirit came upon the followers of Jesus. And they had this moment where they basically started telling all the crowds about who Jesus was. And thousands of people joined in to hear about the gospel. They joined the early church. And so there was so much excitement and energy and passion beyond what was going, behind what was going on. And so all of that leads up to what we read about here in Acts 2, 42 through 47. And what I'm going to do uh, in this sermon is I'm going to just take a little bit of time in each part of the passage. Think of Acts 2, 42 through 47 as a uh, house. And we are going to spend a little bit of time in each room and talk about what our dream is for the church going forward. So we'll start with Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. What, what word jumps out to you in that passage right there? Anybody? I'm actually asking you. You, can, you talk back. Huh? Bread. Bread? <laughs> Hungry? <laughs> All right. Yeah, communion. Exactly. Okay, that's an interesting point because when it talks about fellowship, we're going to learn a little bit of Greek here. The Greek word used for that is quanania, which is often translated as fellowship, but it also can be translated as communion or community in a lot of different ways. And so it's this idea of us coming together and being unified by one spirit. Word that jumps out to me in that passage is the word devoted. Um, you, uh, you can't be devoted to something that you are indifferent about or have a mild like about. You can't be devoted to something that you're on the fence about. Devoted is this intense love for something. I'm from South Carolina originally, and when Clemson University started getting good at football, they had this rallying cry of all in. And like, you have to understand, they were like, kind of cult-like about all in. Like you would go on Facebook, and like every other person I would see, they would have a graphic, that all in, all in, all in. They wanted you to know they were all in for the Clemson Tigers. And so when Clemson finally made the national championship, I made a graphic for my Facebook profile that said 9% in. They did not think it was funny. Um, I was raised believing that we only pull for Clemson when they play the Russians. And so they, you know. But there is something about that all in. When you are all in, you are not 9% in or even 75% in. You are 100% in. You are totally into something. And so the early church, they were totally devoted and loved the body of Christ that they were a part of. They were all in for that. Um, Jesus tells us that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we look at the world and where our heart is, where the things that we care about, that speaks to what we're devoted to. That speaks to what 
we are all in about. So what were they devoted to? What were the early church all in about? The actions that Luke lists here, um, there are actually two things. Um, he says that they were devoted to the teachings of the apostles and prayers. So they were devoted to God. And they were devoted to the breaking of bread and to fellowship. They were devoted to one another. Um, and these women and men, they wanted to know more about God. They wanted to know more about Jesus. And so they did everything they could to learn about that. Um, the apostles, they would have taught on the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew Bible. They would have taught on their experiences with Jesus um, and their encounters and teachings with Jesus. And so how does that translate for us as we look forward today to our devotion towards God? Well, quite simply, we ought to have the same hunger and thirst for learning about God and knowing about God. Uh, and that journey is a lifelong journey. Like, there's never a point where we feel like we have arrived at learning about God. Uh, I majored in religion in college. I have my Master's of Divinity from seminary. And the more that I learn about God, the more I realize I have so much farther to go. I have so much more that I could possibly learn. Um, and so we have to realize that there are always going to be ways in which we can learn more about God and come more into God's community. We learn through Scripture Studying in our own, we learn in small group settings, and yeah, we learn here in church, but I hope that for each and every single one of you, that your learning about God doesn't just come from someone who's standing here on this stage. Um, no, I mean, please listen to me and Clay or anybody else who is on the stage, but the truth of the matter is, is that we can learn from anyone. Uh, the theologian J. Bradley Chance said that we listen to the voices of God's people, past and present, their hopes and hurts, celebrations and concerns, praises and pains. Truth be told, some of the times that I've learned the most about God recently have been right down the hall when one of my middle school or high school students talks about what they see in faith and shares about what, how they see God. We can learn about God in all sorts of different places, but we have to have that hunger and thirst for it to learn about it. The early church was also devoted to God through prayer. Now, in prayer, we talk with God. We lift up our requests to God. We share our joys with God, we can get angry with God. And to be devoted to something means that you are in regular communication with the object of your affection. Any relationship, whether it be a marriage or a friendship, is sustained by good communication. One of the most treasured parts of my day is when uh, EA, my wife and I, we eat lunch on lunch dinner behind our house and just sit and we talk about our day and what we're going through, the things that made us laugh during the day, the things that are ticking us off, that communication sustains our relationship and helps in a lot of ways. And our relationship with God is no different. The early church devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to consistently turning to God and communicating with God through prayer. Our devotion to one another is strengthened as we share life together, and the same goes for our devotion to God. The early church was also devoted to one another through fellowship and the breaking of bread. These people loved each other, and they wanted to spend time with one another. And so they were always together, learning about each other, communicating with each other, doing all of these things together. And I think that's important because you and I were not meant to walk in our faith alone. This was always meant to be a part of community. Um, and so we need to spend time together. We need to learn from each other. We need to lean on each other in hard times. We need to celebrate with each other when there's things to rejoice about. Now, that does not happen magically as much as my introverted self would like to believe it happens magically, but we actually have to make the commitment and the effort to spend time with one another and to be with one another. 
My prayer for the church tomorrow is that we devote ourselves to God and to one another. All right, my next wish for the church is in Acts 2.43. All came up, uh, upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. This is the part where I really wish I could do magic. Like, we talk about wonders and signs. Like, is this your card? Okay. Um, all. Um, when was the last time that your faith produced all in you? Like, when was the last time that your relationship with God, it produced wonder? Like, something, something that, like, either moved you to profound stillness or even made you want to sing. Like you just felt the universe sort of bubble up inside of you and you just realized your space in this whole entire thing. Um, singing, we, we, we were somewhere recently and we saw this gorgeous night sky and the stars were big and beautiful. And I turned to our kids and said, Look at the stars, look how they shine for you. And I don't sing well. And so they just rolled their eyes and groaned because I do that kind of stuff to them all the time. But when was the last time that like, you saw things in the world that moved your heart, maybe not to literally sing, but to metaphorically sing? One of my hopes for the church tomorrow is that we experience and celebrate all. Now we might think that we're a distinct disadvantage here compared to the early church. Because what we see in Acts and what we see in the Gospels, the signs and wonders it talks about are things like the blind seeing and people who are paralyzed walking and prison doors being flung open. So we might feel like that we're a distinct disadvantage because we don't typically see those kinds of signs and wonders today. Yet we need to keep in mind that every good thing comes from God. Beauty, truth, kindness, love, all generosity, all these things come from God. And so maybe we need to stop defining signs and wonders so narrowly. Because love being shared among people is a sign. Someone finding healing and wholeness, that is a wonder. When individuals give of themselves, that is amazing. I mean, you can look at this church and you can look at what members have done at Fall Hamilton. You can look at the bonds that have been formed between people in this church and children in Guatemala through Unbound. You can look and see a friend reaching out to someone else, just bringing them a meal those are all signs and wonders. Those are all things from God that we can celebrate and we can have them fill us with awe and wonder at what we see. In the midst of our trials and the everyday grinds of our lives, we sometimes forget that. Yet you and I are witnesses to amazing things and it is my prayer that the church's eyes would be open to the signs and wonders and that they would fill us with awe and gratitude. All right. Up next is Acts 2, 44 through 45. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. <laughs> um, this is where I might lose some people. Um, so before we get to the part that sounds kind of like socialism, um, a, a word about commonality. So Luke says that all these people had things in common. And what he's not saying is he's not saying that everybody was alike. The truth of the matter is, is the early church was very, very diverse. Like we said, in Pentecost, people came, they spoke different languages, they came from different cultures. And yet they had this commonality that he talks about. What was that commonality? Because 
If you look at the letters of the New Testament, you look at the epistles of the New Testament, you see that like this diversity, it actually caused some disagreements that they had to work through and they had to wrestle with and they had to understand. Um, yet at the end of the day, they had this commonality. And that goes back to the word quantania that we were talking about. This community that was brought together by the Spirit of God. And so this community, they were so devoted and enamored with the love that God had for them that they were able to band together and basically put those differences aside. They still talked about them. They didn't sweep them under the rug, but they were able to look for a North Star, a higher purpose. They were so God intoxicated that they would sell their possessions to help their neighbors. They had this understanding that if one of them was hurting, that all of them were hurting. If one of them had need, all of them had need. Now, commentators and scholars and preachers for years have wrestled with what to do with such a radical practice where they would sell everything and give them to the poor. I mean, can you imagine if what I said to you today was, y'all all need to sell everything, we're going to put it in a common pot, and we're just going to distribute it everywhere. Um, it's silent because everybody's like, is he seriously going to go with this? Um, but uh, many have suggested that Luke was basically writing a fairy tale that would... Um, bolster the image of the early church, uh, which is why the following quote from United Methodist Bishop William Willimon grabbed a hold of me. Um, he said, yeah, he said, later commentators seem intent on showing such claims of sharing to be an idealized and romanticized creation of the later church. Their interpretations testify more to the loss of the church's confidence in the ability of the resurrection faith to overturn all material and social arrangements. Yet the commonality of goods is set forth as concrete testimony that something unsettling, specific, and substantial had happened to these people. That phrase, something unsettling, specific, and substantial has happened, is legitimately something I would love said about my faith and about the church. All at the resurrected faith overtook these people. And all the barricades that we often put up that prevent us from helping other people, they just ran through them because they were so amazed by the love of God that had been preached to them. They asked, well, why don't we just sell our things to help that person out? Now, my hope here is not so much that the church of tomorrow becomes a commune. Now, if you want to give that a shot, you have my blessing and you can go for it. But my simple prayer is this, that we devote ourselves to God and one another in such a way that our all-fill interactions compel us to break through the barricades that often keep us from helping out one another and loving one another. Um, maybe you or I cannot sell everything that we have and give it to the poor, but we can do something. We can help somehow. We can love in some way. Um, the things that we do to help our neighbors does not have to be big or dramatic. It can often be very small. Uh, a few weeks ago, we showed a video from uh, our admissions day camp for the youth did, Light Up Music City. And in that, we had a song uh, from a band called Jars of Clay. And its lyrics said, May our days be filled with small rebellions, simple, brutal acts of kindness from us all. And so my prayer is, is that we as a church would live our lives committed to doing these small rebellions, these acts of kindness and love to other people, and that people would look at the church and know the church as a place where people cared about one another in a way that would really stand out in this world where selfishness often rules. Okay, 
Last wish, Acts 2, 46 through 47. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I will break this one down quickly um, because it's fairly straightforward. First, they were meeting day by day. The church was not restricted to a day or a couple hours a week. The church was every day. Now, of course, we hear that and we think, Chris, getting through Green Hills traffic to Woodmont seven days a week seems like a bit of a stretch, and it is. I work here, and it is a super big stretch. But the good news that we see in this passage is that the church is not just every day, but it is everywhere. The early Christians, they were meeting in their houses. They were meeting in the temple. They were going everywhere. And this is not like a matter of us like saying, well, you know, the golf course is my church. Or having brunch is my church. It's not, not, not that kind of thing. But what was happening was, is that they were so devoted to God and they were so devoted to each other that like everywhere that they went, they saw as an opportunity to grow closer to God. Everywhere they went, they saw as an opportunity for something sacred and something holy and something beautiful. Um, and so... Everything was spiritual. God helped their faith to be vibrant wherever they went. And every interaction can evoke the spirit of the church for them. And then there's the last bit of that verse. It says, and day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The other translations say that day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being rescued. The Lord added to those who were, being, who were experiencing liberation. And so there's a question of like, okay, these people were all being saved, but what were they being saved from. Um, and truth be told, there's a lot to be saved from. We can be saved from sin, the things that we say and the things that we do that hurt others, that hurt ourselves, that hurt God. We can be saved from loneliness. We can be saved from addiction. We can be saved from a life where we don't get to be in community. We can be saved from all sorts of different things. And so, the early church, they found in God, they found in Christ, they found in this community liberation, and they found salvation. They found love. And here's the truth. I, you, we all need to be saved from things. We all need to experience God's liberation. We all need to experience God's rescue. And so my ultimate prayer is that the church of tomorrow is a place where people experience God's liberation day after day after day. Um... This verse, Acts 2, 42 through 47, it has fascinated me, and quite frankly, it has haunted me for a really long time. Um, like, I remember when I first came across this verse when I was in college, and I look back at, do y'all do this? I look back at myself at college, and I simultaneously love that kid and am so deeply embarrassed by him. Um, but I was like, I was like, I was very concerned about what was going to become of the church. And so I was like one of those people who would like very earnestly and with all sincerity and thinking they're very cutting edge say, like, dude, what if we like played you two at church and just talked about the poor board? How much would that change everything? Um, I mean, I'd be okay with us doing more you two at church. But it's like, Chris, you sweet, sweet, innocent little dork. Um, but this, this verse... Acts 2, 42 through 47, where it talked about the early church and it talked about how 
the all of God filled these people and they were devoted to God and they were devoted to one another and they, they lived in such a way that made everybody just sort of sit up and take notice and see that there was something there and something real about the Christian faith. Like, it was always something that was just, why can't we be like that? Why, why can't we do that? Um, because I, 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 I know that the way the church, and I'm not talking about Woodmont particularly, but the way the church is in the popular imagination of this country, um, it's not that. It's often seen as something that's very territorial. It's often seen as something very small. And the truth of the matter is, is that what God gives us is something beautiful and vast and life-transforming. I, I, t- I talk to my students, and they, they share with me like how a lot of their peers, they, just, they don't see the point of this Christian faith thing. And when you look at talking heads on the news or you look at how Christianity is in the popular imagination, I understand it. I get it. And quite honestly, it makes me really sad, and it makes me really angry whenever I see someone take something as big and beautiful as God's love for all of us and makes it very small. And so my prayer for the church of tomorrow is not that we become a carbon copy of what we see in Acts. I don't think that's possible. They were another time, they were another culture, they were another place. But the spirit that we see here, a spirit in which they are so devoted to God and so devoted to one another and are so filled with awe that it completely turns upside down the way that they live and that love is for God and for others is evident in everything they do, what if people saw that? What kind of difference would it make if we lived in a world where the church was something like this? That's my, and that's my prayer for all of us, um, that we would experience God in such a way and that we would be filled with all and filled with God's love and that it would change us and change the world around us.